0: Welcome back to the Society Case Files podcast. My name is Robert and I'll be your host. Today I want to talk about a whole bunch of just story stuff and a little bit of Doctor Who as well. Uh, Today is the 29th of July when I'm recording this. And it was just announced that Jodie Whittaker and Chris Chibnall would be leaving Doctor Who in 2022 after they finish this season that's coming up and three specials. So I belong to a Doctor Who group on Facebook that goes into incredible detail about all kinds of stuff, share a bunch of cool images and, and just tidbits and facts. It's actually pretty cool, for the most part. But today, the Chibnall Whitaker haters were out in full, and they were just crapping all over everything in their excitement that this era is coming to an end. And while I kind of understand that they really disliked it, there's a couple things I don't get. First off, I mean, I guess they're just celebrating the past by being part of the group because, I mean, the amount of harshness that was present in the dialogue was crazy. But primarily, I'm not really sure why people think it's okay to just go on to a thing and just go crazy like that. They know for a fact, because they're part of the group, That there are plenty of people who absolutely love the last few seasons of Doctor Who. And they've really enjoyed the stories and what's been presented. So, I just find it very interesting that these people don't give a crap about how those folks feel. And just want to celebrate vocally about this change. And it's something I had to learn. I admit, when I was much younger, I would go crazy about stuff I didn't like. And practically evangelize my hatred to try and convince other people to not like things. Uh, I didn't have a forum of the internet to do it, so it was really just people I knew, and we collectively, as friends, couched it as healthy debate. But looking back, I kind of realized now, it wasn't really healthy in any way, shape, or form. It was just crapping on stuff that other people liked. So if someone came to the table and was like, I really loved Braveheart. Someone at the table would say, oh, it was historically inaccurate, and here's all the reasons that it sucked, and this is why you shouldn't like it. And then there would be a, a conversation, but calling it a conversation is a polite way of uh, turning it from an argument or, or just a bash session from one side and a defense session from another into something that sounds mature. And that's, that's not at all what it was. But with the internet, since people aren't sitting around a table and there's no tone in text, these things just come off as extremely rude to me. And folks are just, uh, I mean, for lack of a better term, they're just mean. It's its unnecessary. It drives me a little nuts. I can understand debating the virtues or failures of individual episodes, But what drives me the most crazy is that if you like Doctor Who, you have seen plenty of episodes leading up to Jodie being the Doctor that were absolutely ridiculous, and in some cases, pretty bad. Uh, I would say that her stories are no worse than the worst stories that we've seen in the new Doctor Who era, Uh, and everybody has at least one or two episodes that you're like, whoa, what is going on here? But if you open that up and you start comparing them to the stuff that came out in the old days with the first seven Doctors, I mean, right there, you pretty much excuse anything that happens in Doctor Who. I mean, there's crazy, silly stuff. And an odd thing I was thinking about with science fiction, and this is where we're going to get into a little bit more story conversation, is that for whatever reason, fans of science fiction demand certain things that you don't get in other genres so much. And that is, they demand a certain sort of continuity that really matters to them. And so if something is said by the writers, it becomes canon, and then folks really want that to stay the way it is forever. Or at least they want it to be explained in a way that makes sense. And while I get that for the most part, there is a problem with... Looking at science fiction in such a way that we are, you know, going to hold the writers to anything uh, really, really specific. And the reason I say that is because in the original Doctor Who, with William Hartnell, they didn't know there'd be regeneration. They didn't know about the Time Lords, per se. He was going to be a time-traveling character who brought people uh, some education as well as adventure. And... When Mr. Hartnell could no longer do it, they replaced him with a different actor and they came up with an explanation to make it make sense. And somehow people latch onto that and are like, oh my goodness, so now this is just the way it is, period. He was the first, period. And I mean, it makes sense because time after time we hear people say he was the first in various episodes. But then there's an episode with the fourth Doctor where you see dozens of of incarnations that he's had so it's hard to remember that they were formulating doctor who in the first three seasons they were creating rules for themselves but it's not like the writers had a a a genre bible to go on that they had to adhere to and this is the same with things like star trek i mean the first season of the original star trek is a mess it's all over the place terminology was different here and there The characters spoke to each other differently. I mean, some of them had different names. I mean, James T. Kirk was James R. Kirk in the very first real pilot episode. So it's funny that we hold science fiction to some sort of higher standard. Whereas I was just thinking, if I watch a mystery show, for the most part, I'm going to excuse a lot. And anyone who likes mysteries, the thing that will stop you from watching it, well, there's two... One, you don't like the characters. I mean, those are all character-driven stories, so if you don't like the characters, you're probably going to check out. But two is the severity of the of the crimes they present. So if it's really, really gory and harsh, that might turn you off. Or if it's really silly and lighthearted. So anything in between those two places is going to appeal to the vast majority of mystery lovers. Uh, Longmire is a great example. I watched a few episodes of that. It was engaging. And then I kind of tuned out because it started to feel a little bit like the Mystery of the Week shows that I'm not a huge fan of, like NCIS and all that kind of stuff. And if you think about it like that, it's funny that serial shows that are sort of based in the real world get a lot of passes. I mean, they last forever. I don't even know how many seasons NCIS has, but, I mean, I think it's still going on, in fact. But, science fiction, somehow it plays itself out. And it happens in comic books, too, where Marvel or DC will write comics and do all this crazy stuff and have huge crossovers, and then they sort of write themselves into a corner. So they throw a huge apocalypse and then they just reboot and start over from scratch. And that makes it very difficult when you're talking about the movies, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe for example, and someone's like, well, I really hate the way X character is being portrayed. Well, I mean, I kind of get that because maybe you got into comics in the early 2000s, whereas I was into them in the late 1980s, early 1990s. And our two visions of those characters are completely different. Now, who is the Marvel Cinematic Universe going to cater to? Well, they have a couple of choices. They can try and figure out who the majority would like. Um, they can look at statistics and see who read the most of these and, and go that route, or they can just pick what makes most sense for the story they want to tell and and just bring people along for the ride. And ultimately, that's where I'm going with this. When you're watching this stuff, yeah, once it gets released, it's hours to criticize and tear apart and, and dive into, but ultimately, they're going to do what they think is best for their writing and their show and their numbers if you want to get cold and cynical about it. And we're along for the ride. You know, we don't we don't write this stuff. And for the most part, even if we send in letters and tell them what we would like to see, for the most part if that ever worked, it would suck because then we would have no surprises. It's it comes down to the same thing when we get a book adaptation into a movie. It's sort of like the very first Harry Potter book to movie. It's just brought to life, they changed very little, so, having read the book, I knew exactly what was going to happen. It was still emotional, it was still impactful because you know i 'm getting to experience it through the eyes of someone else and and getting all of the audio visual cues they're doing a great job of grabbing the emotions that I felt too and and I think that's where we come from when we want the adaptation to be so dead on we just want to take it to the next level of stimulus but for the most part if you're a big reader your imagination is really good and you're capable of filling in those gaps yourself you've got your own soundtrack in your head you pick your own actors that these characters look like or maybe they just look like people you completely invented and they have no semblance to people living or dead. Now, that said, the uh, Dan Brown novels with Robert Langdon, I will admit that I didn't read those until I had watched the movie. And then when I read the books, <laughs> I found myself just seeing Robert Langdon as Tom Hanks. I mean, that was who he was. And while that's kind of cool, It it also sort of defeated the purpose. And then... Because they did make some changes from book to movie in the case of the Dan Brown stuff, I found myself being like, oh man, I would have preferred them to stick to the book, especially in the case of Inferno. But that's, that's, a, that's a whole podcast worth of complaining right there. And so it's not like I'm not guilty of it. But in a lot of ways, I don't really see the benefit of just making a direct copy of book to movie. Mostly because if I've already read the book, then I'm just going to be like, okay, and now this character's going to... Oh, yep, there they are. They're dead. And now this is going to happen, and this is how it resolves. And there's just no surprise. It's like, I guess I'm just there to watch it happen in live action? I, I don't know. I will admit, it could get really frustrating if they make a choice to change something for the worse. And it just is crappy how they change it. And you're like, wow, you know... What, who are you to make that change? So I guess in a lot of ways, at least in my perspective, writers are in in trouble when it comes to trying to adapt something because if they make it too close, I'm bored and I don't really care. But if they change it and they change it in a way I don't like, then, then I condemn them. Now, that said, it's not like I'm the vehement about it. I don't go on some kind of crazy tirade online and complain about it. I just personally find myself disappointed. Which allows me to empathize with folks who complain when they see a movie that they were really excited about and they've made all kinds of sweeping changes. Whether it's they cast someone who doesn't look like the character in their head or they cast someone who seems really far out that maybe they just don't think that person will do a good job. I don't know. But whatever the case it may be, I understand why people get leery. When they see a new adaptation coming out and and why they're like whoa 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 what's going on here you know who (laughs) who made this decision who even allowed this to happen and i find myself asking that question more broadly like for example i don't really know why we needed a netflix adaptation of cowboy bebop live action Uh, i mean i'll probably watch it but it just seems like a waste of money There's so many awesome original ideas that haven't been realized at all that could become a show. Why redo something that is so beloved and is going to have so much scrutiny that people may just crap all over it right off the bat? Before they've even seen it, there's preconceived notions and a lot of baggage. So it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, Cowboy Bebop has name recognition, and millions upon millions of people know it, and they're going to probably try and watch it. At the same time, a good percentage of those people might be willing to start shooting long before it even comes out or on just a bad trailer. And that holds true for pretty much any major property. Uh, Sandman is coming out soon, and I know that some of the casting choices there have made people leery. So you bring in all everything with name recognition. It's not just the positive, ooh, we've got an audience. But more importantly, when you make huge changes to an existing intellectual property and then realize it to the screen, if you make big changes, who are you aiming towards? For example, the watch, the Terry Pratchett uh, watch series. They pretty much came out and said, hey, we're we're reimagining this. It's not really that much like what he did. So this is inspired by. And while that's all well and good the whole point of using the watch would be to draw in Terry Pratchett fans. I mean, they're rabid. They want to consume this media. And yet, the sweeping changes they made ended up mostly offending people to the point where the fans themselves weren't that interested because they maybe picked people who weren't really like the characters or they went crazy directions or whatever the case may be. Whatever complaints they had. I don't really want to get into the specifics, of why people complained, but the point of those complaints is, if I'm not aiming for the target audience, and I'm hoping I'm going to grab a new audience, why shouldn't I just come up with something brand new? Because the whole point of the name recognition is to bring a whole bunch of fans into it right off the bat. It's so that my initial run shows, hey look, I got 30 million people to watch this, and I also attracted an additional 10 million people just because the idea was cool and and the trailer was neat. But in reality, what happens when you completely go off the uh, beaten path is you end up with all of those 30 million that you wanted to just, they just don't show up at all. And now you've got to hope that that 10 million brings friends. Because now your show has effectively failed since the whole point of it is is to, to get people to hang out and enjoy it. So, I'm not saying you have to cater to fans all the time, because like I just talked about with the Marvel stuff, you can't please everybody all the time, obviously. And in the case of anything science fiction, anything fantasy with a huge fan base, and I'm talking the kind of fan base that when you go to a convention, there may be a whole bunch of cosplay. There might be... um, seminars about it or or panels of people talking about the shows and the movies and the books and the spin-offs and the comics anything with that large of a fan base you are running a big risk by taking a lot of crazy chances uh, marvel again marvel i always come back to them because they just did it right yeah there are some insane things they've decided to try guardians of the galaxy when that came out i was like are you guys serious You guys really do think you could just do anything. It became my favorite movie. Because prior to doing Guardians, they already established themselves. Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Thor, The Avengers, uh, on and on. They just made great movies before they bothered to go crazy and start doing some experimental stuff just to see what would happen. And by that time, they had established some credibility with characters that maybe we already had preconceived notions about, but we're willing to go along for the ride because they've proven that they're going to be respectful to the source material and that they're going to give us something that we're going to like, even if it's not necessarily how we like it. So, coming back to Doctor Who. Here we have a couple of seasons under Chris Chibnall's belt. A lot of people complaining. They feel like they've been showing up for a weekly sermon They feel like the show has too many companions. They suggest that the companions aren't well fleshed out. I I just saw an argument about how the companions in the Jodie Whittaker era, the three, Graham, Yaz, and Ryan, weren't as well uh, established as the three companions for William Hartnell. And I really, I gotta argue with that one too, because in all honesty... All you really get with the three companions uh, with William Hartnell before they go on their first adventure is that you know that two of them are teachers and they happen to be uh, looking into Susan, who has gone back to the TARDIS and led them there inadvertently. And, I mean, it's not like they showed them at home. (laughs) You didn't find out who their family members were. Uh, Modern storytelling is a little bit more layered we want to have the action progressing while we learn about people so in the case of the companions with jody we find out that graham is a bus driver but not like he doesn't stand up and say it in the first few seconds of the show it comes up organically it's a conversation It's three people being caught up in a crazy moment, and then they start revealing things about themselves. You start learning about their families, and it comes up organically throughout the season. And I think that's a great way of doing it. It allows us to stick to the action. It moves things forward, but at the same time, we learn about these characters and their plights and their challenges and all that crazy stuff. And because some of the action brings up their foibles and their difficulties we get to relate to the situation better. So I I still don't necessarily understand why people are so negative about the storytelling in the Jodie Whittaker era. It doesn't make sense to me. And I've really tried to analyze it. I watched both seasons within two weeks. I just powered through them all. And while I had some minor gripes here and there, primarily about the way the characters acted more than the stories, and, and I'm not meaning the actors acting, like the actions the characters took uh, some of those made me twitch but, not in the same way that I see people really complain the guys who are going crazy about this stuff, those are the ones that I'm like, what, why? what's wrong? <sighs> did you not watch any of the Matt Smith era of Doctor Who? there's episodes in that, that are painful to watch they're crazy and again, I'm not going to go into which ones and, and that sort of thing. It's another podcast to talk about some more detailed oriented stuff like this. And, and I probably will sit down and do a comparative analysis of the ones that I think are, are not as good as others. Uh, but primarily, I want to do it in a way that is positive. Because if someone really loved a particular episode and I take a bunch of exception to it, I want to have a more grounded story-based reason ...for why I didn't like it, not just emotion-based. And ultimately, that's what we see a lot of online, is emotion-based raging. Just people going crazy because for whatever reason, they've been emotionally impacted by what they saw. And I kind of feel like maybe the reason that Jody's season is mired in negativity from folks... I think that there was too much change all at the same time. I think that bringing Chris Chibnall in and her at the same time, plus doing away with all of the classic villains and having three companions right off the bat, I think all of it was just too much at once for a lot of people. And I think that it would have probably been a better series for a lot of people if, for example, Bill would have carried over from one doctor to the next to help sort of usher in Jody. Maybe tie up some of Bill's loose ends before moving on to new companions. And I've thought that before because one of the things that bothered me about Matt's season is that there are some moments when things are looking really dire and everything's going to hell. And instead of like turning to his old friends that are still around, obviously, especially people like Martha, instead of like turning to previous companions or any of the people we had grown very much attached to in David's season, they turned to brand new characters we'd never even seen before. And so now we've got these new folks hanging around that we're supposed to have an attachment to, but Unlike in the previous season, they've barely been introduced. And so it lost a lot of impact. And I feel like maybe we should have had more of those brought into Jodi's season to help introduce her. And it's not that Jodi herself needed the assistance. I'm saying the show needed some more past to help bolster the feelings of the people who are watching it. And that way, they could have watched the first season with a little less, "Mm, what's going on here? Why is everything different? Why is it constantly different? And where are any of the monsters that we were used to? You know, at least one would have been a good idea for that first season, whether it be Cybermen or, or Daleks or whatever the case may be. And I admit, I mean, I had no problem with the Doctor encountering brand new stuff throughout the season that introduced her. Because, I mean, (laughs) everybody sees those monsters. They always come back up. Uh, At some point, we've got to have something new. It's just too old. It's been on too long to not explore a new avenue. Maybe make up a new villain. Speaking of which, I will give it some crap. Because there's a video game coming out here in September. And it's the Doctor Who video game where a new nemesis emerges. And in the trailer, they just show Cybermen. <laughs> so it's like, I know we have a fondness for things, the Centaurans and the and the Daleks and the, and the Cybermen, and they're all really cool, and they're awesome villains. And when they show up, it's super fun. But we have seen them a lot. And in a world of limitless possibility, if we want this to go on for another 60 years, if we want to just continually see new stories emerge, we have to allow it to be new. And we have to accept that, yeah, sometimes it's not going to be our cup of tea. Not everything is for us. And that's probably the biggest risk they're taking with season 13, is making it one story. One of the things that sci-fi suffers from that, say, mysteries don't, is that oftentimes if a mystery is six episodes long... People are really forgiving about it. As long as they follow logical procedure to solve the crime, then people are okay. But with sci fi, if you don't like that story, then that serial's done for you. And you're just going to walk. And you've missed out on an entire season. So it's the struggle of serial show, like old Star Trek, where every episode is self contained, or big story arc make it huge and epic and crazy, but risk losing some viewers who are like, "Mm, I'm not really into this story. Uh, This whole season became that episode I didn't like in season 10. So I can see that risk, and I can see people being concerned that that might happen. But ultimately, I think that our biggest challenge that all of us as fans of anything need to overcome is that when something puts us off, We shouldn't turn to a public forum and start crapping all over it. Just horrible, mean stuff said about whatever it is we don't like, whether it's the latest Marvel movie or DC or whatever. You have to start thinking that all the people who love that thing are also on there too. And then put yourself in their shoes. For example, I love this crappy sci-fi that Full Moon Video made. And then I go to a group that celebrates full moon and everyone else hates that and they just crap all over it all the time. It's probably not the group for me, but in a group with 50,000 people and 20,000 of them love this thing and the other 30 don't, let's agree that maybe you can just keep your harsh opinions to yourself or to your close friends or to a private group that trashes on stuff all the time. I mean, they exist. You know, there's people who hate everything. And they can go and form a group and be vile about everything there. But, I don't know, there's so much misery going on in the world. There's so much stuff to worry about and hate on. It seems like crapping on people's joy is just really low right now. And it's really unnecessary when there are plenty of other things to watch and experience. And while you might feel really betrayed by The Timeless Child... Concept or any of the big changes they made to the canon in the show, you should probably think back to when they were forming the show and creating it and just doing absolutely insane stuff, pretty much whatever they wanted. And think about the fact that when they were doing those things, they didn't know what was going to happen next. And people just accepted it. You know, they had some preconceived notions back when all these original sci-fis were being made. And you were like, oh, whoa, whoa. You know, in my opinion, the Federation wouldn't do that. It's like, (laughs) you know what? They don't even know if it was going to be the Federation of Planets or the Earth Federation or any other thing at the time. So there was no established rules, no canon. And ultimately, when it comes to science fiction, there is no genre Bible that is going to survive a complete change of guard. They're going to want to change things based on their vision. And honestly, if you don't like that vision, you do need to just walk away. You don't need to stick around and talk trash about it constantly because the people who stuck around and loved it don't need to hear it. There are other things to do that don't involve uh, spilling out your disappointment for other people. I mean, that's what therapy is for. So, ultimately, that's just... That's just an opinion. I'm obviously not going to change any minds. And people are going to continue to do what I'm talking about till the end of time. Until there is no more Facebook or Twitter to complain about things. To tell people that they think what they like sucks. But I really hope that we can get past that. And just, you know, walk away from things we don't like. Scroll past that thing that kind of offends you. And don't comment on it and say, well... (laughs) You know, in reality, that was a poor choice to buy for a TV because blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, dude, I already spent the money. Why, why are you coming out of the woodwork to give me crap now? What's the point? You think I'm going to take this TV off my wall and return it because you just decided out of the blue to give it a hard time? No. Anyway, I think that's probably enough. We will uh, talk about story stuff again in the future. I'm going to get a lot more specific, try and dive into some crazy ideas about how you can build continuity into stories and think about the future and really plan ahead, uh, particularly as I get ready to release my writing course. So, thank you very much for listening to Society Case Files today. I really appreciate it. If you would like to support the project or hear more stuff like this, please visit us at www.ko. -fi. dot files, or visit the website at www.societycasefiles.com. Thanks very much. Have a fantastic week.